blue. You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics, 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at wcbn.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And just plopping into my chair, I'm Jim Dwyer. Yeah, we have a funny mic over here. Oh, wait a minute. Funny mics. Hey. That was Donald Trump's defense. (laughs) Uh, Gee, Donald, if you wear lifts in your shoes, maybe the mic that you (laughs) tested two hours earlier and claimed the system is flawless... Might not be so flawless. Of course, the mic had nothing to do with his uh, poor debate performance. It was the sniffling. Uh, well, you know, it's allergy season. <laughs> I weird. know there were a lot of, you know, cocaine jokes making the rounds on that. I can forgive a guy for sniffling, but I mean, you got to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not like something you just show up for and wing it. You, you wing it at a brief appearance, uh, at a debate. You've got to put some time in preparing. Well, and so much for Laura Ingram and Roger Ailes, debate coaches. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, if Trump had spent more time preparing and less time trying to game the the refs and play the refs and all that other stuff that he was doing the week before the debate, he might have done better. I mean, the questions were, frankly, easy. Yeah. I mean, that was, was in fact, my pre... uh, criticism of what I predicted would would be the problem with the debate, that it would be predictable and easy questions that don't really cover a lot of new ground and lack imagination. I mean, I thought that Holt did a good job of kind of letting them sort of fight. (laughs) He stayed out of the way, and I think that in that regard, he sort of pulled a Jim Lehrer. Um, at one time, at one point, he did specifically correct Trump about one error, and that was the stop and frisk. That was ruled unconstitutional. 
not by the Supreme Court, but by the uh, New York correct courts. Um, and of course, Trump badly bumbled that whole thing, that whole debate about stop and frisk, because in fact, uh, since New York City has gotten rid of stop and frisk, crime has actually gone way down in, in New York. Um, stop and frisk, of course, was a a policy that was uh, sort of introduced into New York City by Giuliani, who, of course, is now emerging as Donald Trump's chief defender on Fox News and the talk shows on Sunday. Chris Christie is still around, but he's got his own scandals. But, uh, boy, what a what a terrible week for Donald Trump. Might have been the worst week of the campaign for him. He beating the debates pretty soundly. Then he went on this tirade about Miss Universe and all of that silliness. Yeah, the, and you it know, it, just it, like he we, does this where he'll he'll do something stupid and everybody will say, "Wow, I can't believe he said that. That's really offensive and stupid." And then instead of just like you know being contrite about it or even just ignoring it and just moving on, that's his problem. He stays up till he's up at five thirty in the morning tweeting. Yeah, it's it's insane. That's crazy. Well, and that's where you start to wonder about Donald Trump. Uh, you know, uh, then, of course, the tax uh, revelations in the New York Times on Sunday. These are devastating critiques of Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know if he's losing his supporters, but I think that the sort of the muddle in the middle uh, may start seriously questioning uh, Donald Trump's ability. There's another unbelievable story that he might have traded with Cuba. <laughs> uh, that's a Newsweek story that's still being uh, sorted out. Today it was announced uh, in the state of New York that uh, there's been a cease and desist order on his Trump Foundation. The charitable organization. The charitable organization. And Hillary, by the way, hit him hard during the debate, predictably knowing that at one point Donald would. And it was interesting how she kept calling him Donald. Uh, I think that was deliberate. Uh, that was actually something I think she borrowed from Sarah Palin, ironically, who kept calling uh, Senator Biden Joe. Uh, the inside information on that, by the way, was that Sarah Palin kept calling him O'Biden. She couldn't keep track in her brain that he was just Senator Biden. And Not I, uh, to, you know, infer Irish uh, ancestry on him. I think it's just a Obama-Biden yeah. sort of conflation. Conflation. Her, her mind doesn't fold out, it folds in. And, of course, Biden was specifically picked, and this happens with VP candidates sometimes for demographic balance you know he was a catholic he was the son of working class people um delaware had nothing to do with obama's equation picking joe biden and, and you know it, in a way the whole uh can i call you joe thing although it sort of allowed her to you know speak with fewer gaffes um it's like the most regular name a guy could have so instead of vice president or so in that case, uh, Senator. Yeah. Uh, it's just Joe. He's just a guy. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Where are you going with that gun in your hand? 
going to debate Sarah Palin. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know if Sarah Palin will be in attendance tomorrow for the uh, vice presidential debate, but uh, no, it's uh, it's harvest time up in Alaska. She's busy. She's been banished. Turkeys a, into a shredder or something. To a whaling shipper. She's harvesting turkeys. Um, and, and, you know, the whole thing with Trump and this obsession with the Miss Universe thing, it's just so bizarre uh, to even... You know, that almost alone is going to destroy him uh, in November. The uh, ad I saw just this afternoon that the Hillary campaign has put out uh, focuses on uh, young women looking at themselves in mirrors, looking at, you know, pictures, um, and while his, you know, ignorant, you know, really heartless comments yeah. about this woman uh, are, are repeated, um, the, the, the women vote is enough to finish him off. You'd think so, and it was funny how uh, Hillary Clinton used that perfect expression, hanging around beauty contests. <laughs> That actually somewhat has sort of pinpointed Trump's history with beauty contests and his weird obsession with with that. I, I don't be surprised if more uh, investigative journalists come out with stories about uh, Donald Trump uh, hanging around with <laughs> hanging around beauty contests. Uh, of course, uh, well, I have a little limerick. Oh, go know, for it! Honor of the Trump uh, weekend involved, and this goes to the famous 60s song, Big Don, Big Bad Don. <laughs> there once was a candidate named Trump who was obsessed with the size of everybody's rump. When he searched for his comb to cover up his dome, it turned out the problem, he was plump. Well, Maureen Dowd had a great column in Sunday's New York Times uh, about this issue, and she uh, called him a 13-year-old girl. 13-year-old girl, yeah. Uh, he's up all night tweeting and texting, and uh, she... Obsessed with his hair. and Yeah, she uh, cat fights brilliantly and sort of thing, yeah. lanced the boil that is Newt Gingrich by saying that, you know, he was quoted, uh, Newt is a little overweight himself, a little chubby, chubby little Newtskins. Uh, was saying that, well, you're not supposed to gain 60 uh, pounds when you're, you're Miss Universe. He whined like a pathetic little... And I don't even think there's any evidence of that. I mean, pictures I've seen of her, she looks pretty slim still. And you know, there's so a lot I... of guys who like a big girl. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Bill Clinton. <laughs> But we won't go there. We'll let Trump go there. I don't think that's uh, even a strategy that remotely will work at this point. Cause I no, don't... and if he tries to bring that up at the debate, uh, it's going to backfire uh, big time on him. Yeah. Uh, it's... Whatever Bill Clinton did is between Bill and Hillary. Obviously, they've worked it out and been all through it. Page turned. Life goes on. blah de blah it's, uh, it's not an issue that affects anything about America. Uh, his complete lack of specific details uh, in any, oh, it's going to be a great, I'm going to do it, it's going to be great. You yeah, just, believe, you wait and see. Believe me. Believe me. It's going to be great. 
I don't know how many times he said that. Nothing specific. He was constantly interrupting both the moderator and Hillary. It didn't work. It didn't get under her skin. She she did a pretty good job just ignoring him. But boy, did she get under his skin. (laughs) That's where the split screen, I think, really served her well. Because while he was speaking, you could see her shake her head or look down or smirk, you know, grin quietly to herself. Uh, Oh, I'm ready to go uh, when it's my turn. Uh, And he was just, ugh, 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 ugh. Yeah. He uh, had had numerous problems. I don't think, by the way, Hillary's phrase, trumped up, trickle down, is uh, got much poetry to it. So I think that uh, phrase ought to go back into the dog pile, as they say. Uh, Trump, of course, turned out to really be a sheep in wolf's clothing. (laughs) Boy, was he bad. Uh, Hillary gave good, crisp answers. Trump was bumbling, rambling, uh, confused at times. He, he, He barely ever answered a question. Right. At the end of the day, that was one of his problems, I thought. And it was interesting how Hillary used the phrase, fact checkers get to work couple of times uh, because, of course, Trump had numerous whoppers in some of his answers, and he's never shy about bragging. You know, he it, it's amazing that he would even brag about making $600 million uh, recently when he supposedly claimed a $916 million tax loss back in '95 that uh, these tax experts point out allow him to carry losses forward for 18 years. Now, that loss may not have been for that single year. That could have been an accrued loss over a couple years, the way business taxes work. But without further context, you can't really know for sure. And, of course, at one point, Trump threatened to uh, or challenged Hillary and said, well, I'll release my taxes if you release your deleted emails. I would love to see that challenge met somehow, one way or another. I'm sure those deleted emails can be retrieved uh, if needed, but uh, I doubt they're that interesting at the end of the day. Uh, when Trump claimed that, you know, tax return information doesn't tell you a lot, that really <laughs> backfired on him because it's now emerging that. Uh, the New York Times was sent uh, this copy of the tax return anonymously. <laughs> and Trump's the Trump campaign's response to this uh, report in the New York Times, and by the way, of oh, course— Oh, he's going to sue him. He's going to sue yeah. him. So I can't wait for that lawsuit. Um, because the tax return itself, it's actually published in the the Sunday New York Times, and of course the— strange figure of 91 that's off center from the rest of the tax return is what jumps out at you. But the New York Times tracked down the accountant who uh, was involved in this tax return, and he admitted that he used a manual typewriter to put that in. But Trump's response is rather interesting. He says, the only—this is the campaign—the only news here— is that more than uh, 20 year, uh, years, well, he says 20-year-old alleged tax document was illegally obtained 
a further demonstration that the New York Times, like the establishment media, is an extension of the Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party and their global special interests. What is happening now with the FBI and the DOJ on Hillary Clinton's emails and the illegal server, including her many lies and her lies to Congress, are worse than what took place in the administration of Richard Nixon and more illegal. Well, <laughs> sorry, uh, she was investigated by the FBI for 15 months. Somewhere along those lines. Yeah, the Clintons don't run the FBI or the Department of Justice or And of New course, Times. Comey was, you know, in another yet another stunt of distraction. They dragged Comey, FBI Director Comey, before Congress last week. And he really took great umbrage at accusations that the FBI was somehow covering up for Hillary Clinton. Or the word that apparently one congressman used was the word weasel. Which, boy, when you when you when you th you know, I'm more interested in how this nine hundred million dollar loss is accounted for. Um, I realize that the tax code has liberal and generous loopholes for real estate developers, but Trump stiffed contractors. This is part right. of the narrative that Hillary Clinton, that is succeeding for Hillary Clinton on well, the campaign trail. And he's now trying to blame the uh, hard times for developers in the early 90s on Bill Clinton. But let's face it, the front end of the 90s was the tail end of the Reagan-Bush years. The 90s saw something of an economic uh, recovery on yeah. Bill Clinton. And of course... The debate, the continuing debate about tax cuts for the rich, which is part of this trumped-up, trickle-down metaphor that I think Hillary Clinton should put back in the dustbin, um, is part of a myth. There's a journal, journalistic team called Bartlett and Steele that have written a couple of books about—Bruce um, Bartlett is one— of these journalists, and it's very interesting. He wrote a book in uh, 2002 called The Benefit and Burden Tax Reform and Why We Need It and What It Will Take, which at the time was timed for the uh, presidential election, so to speak. And he goes into great detail about the facts regarding Ronald Reagan's presidency, the fact that Ronald Reagan increased taxes 11 times during mm -hmm. his presidency. That, yes, there was a big tax cut at the beginning, but that there were numerous uh, tax increases that followed, including the Social Security amendments of 1983, the so-called Greenspan Commission, which doubled the burden of taxes on workers and businesses. This was to make Social Security solvent. Uh, those were the tax increases that Donald Trump avoided all these years. There's another journalist that I highly recommend. Uh, you'll probably hear him over the—he's uh, a journalist-slash-professor. David K. Johnston has written numerous books about the problem with the tax code and— uh, he, I heard a little bit of an interview today on uh, National Public Radio about this Trump, um, these loopholes that he took advantage of and how Trump actually 
gamed the system. Uh, and it's exceedingly troubling to me. It essentially allowed Trump to use a partnership, an S-corporation, to invest in the company. Then he created a public company, declared it bankrupt, and then claimed the loss on his personal income as the $900 million loss, um, which is remarkable. And $900 million is a billion dollars almost. We're talking here about real money. Um, we're talking about money that is probably equivalent to the size of some of the departments of our government. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an astonishing amount of money. And these latest revelations, according to Michael Knoll, professor of law and real estate at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, said if his loss was so massive that he didn't pay federal taxes for 15 to 20 years, that's surprising. It's even more surprising that someone in that situation would run for president. Further down in the article in uh, today's New York Times about this, these tax loopholes in the rich, it makes it more imperative that Donald, Mr. Trump disclose more tax information, including more current mm -hmm. returns as well as the earlier returns that he would explain how, by 1995, he had such a huge operating loss carried forward from earlier years that appreciated to a billion dollars. Quote, it absolutely strengthens, strengthens the case for disclosure. Mr. Rosenthal, another uh, tax expert, noted a loss of that kind of magnitude raises all kinds of red flags. Well, indeed. <laughs> so uh, this... Why hadn't it been investigated before? Cre creative accounting, because David K. Johnston pointed out that Trump, from public documents, did not pay taxes in, in, in several years uh, that were... Uh, that were disclosed, and these were disclosed as part of his legal obligations under the New Jersey Gaming Commission rules. So Trump seems to play kind of uh, loose and fast with these accounting rules. I think that's troubling and is why uh, this issue may uh, dog him for the rest of the campaign. Well, his claim that it uh, sort of muttering, uh, yeah, it means I'm smart. And Giuliani is saying the same thing. Well, that means he's a genius. If uh, Called him a genius. He can figure out a way around that. Oh, heck, nobody likes to pay taxes. Well, it's true that nobody likes to pay taxes, but that's how we pay for the stuff that makes it a functional country. Well, and the other issue with Trump's uh, whole loss claim... To the extent that it's functional. <laughs> ...is that there is a dispute about what component of the debt that was forgiven is part of the issue here. Some of the experts that I heard quoted on BBC said that that is, is actually money that's supposed to be reported as income, mm. not losses. So, uh, you know, there could be some very fishy accounting going on here. It's interesting, by the way, that the accountant, Mr. Minnick, Mitnick, I should say, uh, noted at one point, um, well, I did not prepare. <laughs> that is my signature, but I did not prepare. Donald Trump's tax return uh, for certain years. So, you know, there's some kind of murkiness going on. It is fascinating, by the way, that, that Donald Trump during the 1980s and 1990s was uh, using Roy Cohn. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my God, that's right. Of Joe McCarthy that. fame yeah. as a lawyer. And uh, Roy Cohn was a notorious red baiter in the 1950s. He was Joe McCarthy's right-hand man in the uh, Senate subcommittee that M McCarthy headed where he acted like a buffoon. Uh, they did all sorts of things like race around Europe uh, investigating libraries that the American government was running in various countries and even proposed burning books, <laughs> which is a remarkable thing to be contemplating uh, in the early 50s, uh, so shortly after World War II, since the Nazis were very famous for that. Um, where does Trump go from here? I don't know. Um, personally, I, I don't think he's going to do well in the town hall format that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It, to me, it's really going to come down to the ground game. Can Hillary Clinton win back some of these uh, third-party uh, advocates and candidates? Well, uh, Bernie— Which is her problem. Yeah, Bernie joined her on stage in Ohio. And, of course, uh, one of the things Republicans were trying to make hay out of over the weekend is— a recording of her, oh, this is going to be like the Mitt Romney recording, uh, talking about Bernie Sanders supporters being frustrated grad students who live in their parents' basements. Sanders was did the obvious thing to say, well, <laughs> look at the context of what she said. She's, that's, that's the truth. Those people are frustrated. They are looking for uh, real, serious, and substantive change. Um, He's thrown in with Hillary. I hope that he continues to get out there and urge uh, the, the so-called millennials to vote. I think a lot of them have, uh, it's too much like voting for my mom uh, to, uh, you know, bite the bullet and just go out and, and vote for Hillary. Or they're fascinated with Gary Johnson because of the marijuana uh, legalization. Yeah, but, you know, in state after state, we're getting more and more states with medical yeah. marijuana laws uh, than some of those states, even here in Michigan, is moving towards just straight-up legalization. So that's not as big of an issue as it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, so I hope that, that Bernie continues to urge uh, his supporters to uh, get out there and actually vote. Um, and, of course, Hillary has other big-wig... Uh uh, surrogates, you know, Bill Clinton, Michelle Obama, Barack Bill was Obama. In Saginaw today. You know, Barack Obama is, you know, one of the biggest disappointments about the debate. Why on earth was not one question even, even asked about Obamacare? That to me is a mm. major domestic issue. This this debate, by the way, was supposed to focus on domestic issues, and I don't think it did a very good job of that in terms of covering a lot of ground uh, because. Trump, I think, early on was deliberately stalling, as they say, <laughs> stalling for time. You know, it's interesting that just yesterday uh, they had a referendum in both Colombia and Hungary and the country Hungary. And the, 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 the failure of democracy in so many countries is really becoming troubling. In Hungary, the turnout was so low that the results didn't count. Uh, of course, wow. it was an organized campaign by the opponents of the proposition that the related to immigration and the Hungarian government, you know, keep the immigrants out. We're going to repudiate EU on uh, taking in uh, refugees from uh, the Middle East and Afghanistan. That turnout was exceedingly low, so the result didn't count. In Colombia, they turned down the 
uh, negotiated peace settlement between FARC and the government. Now, that may be a legitimate repudiation of that deal, but the gist of the deal was let's have peace and reconciliation and move on. Uh, the, po- the popularity of the Colombian president is low, so that may underscore why that referendum didn't work. But uh, it's interesting that the FARC has promised to, quote, adhere to the ceasefire. So further negotiations are going to come about from that. But it's interesting that the mistake that the president in Colombia made was almost identical to the mistake that David Cameron made in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Let's have a referendum, and we can win it. And then, when the win doesn't happen, you're looking like a yeah a goat. Actually, uh, there's a little statistic relative to that in the uh, brand new Harper's magazine. Percentage of Italians who wanted a referendum on leaving the European Union two months before the Brexit vote, fifty-eight. Percentage of Italians who wanted a referendum five days after the Brexit vote. Down to 20. Well, and Britain announced this, this past week that they're going to commence the Brexit in March of next year. Uh, so it's uh, <laughs> they're stalling for time, too. Just wanted to remind you that you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor right here. We'd like to thank Andrew for engineering this evening on Gray Matters. I'll, yeah, ju- I'll yeah. just like to mention quickly, too, that we're talking about decline in, in numbers of people who go out and vote. Voting's just like the least that you can do to participate in as it sure as what you would used to call your civic life. Um, it's the bare minimum. You gotta vote uh, to have a fully healthy and functional democracy. You've also got to volunteer and participate in other ways. And I guess we're lucky in that we live in an area like Ann Arbor where there is a lot of activity from regular folks who have jobs, you know, 40-hour-a-week jobs, but who also find ways to uh, volunteer and donate their time in, in many, many ways. Um, civic life is uh, is a good thing, and we've seen it wither and die uh, in the last 30 years. Well, and that's one of the problems with American culture today, I believe. I think there's great confusion in our country about being a consumer and being a citizen, mm-hmm. and I wish there'd be more uh, discussion of that. Anyway, upcoming shows, uh, we'll finish up this endless presidential race. And also the weird thing about uh, suing Saudi Arabia. Oh, that's, yeah. That's a strange development. Very interesting uh, talk congressional vote problem with passing laws like that in a election year. Yeah. Demagoguery and all that. Anyway, uh, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next on this fine station. Do stay tuned. That's Roy Smeck in the background doing the laughing rag, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name's Jerry Mack, your host this evening for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues and early urban blues. 
and sometimes some Hawaiian slack key slide guitar, lived and performed by the men and women who started it all. This particular track found in a Yazoo collection called The Voice of the Blues, Bottleneck Guitar Masterpieces, recorded in 1926. Well, as we 